it's Coach Tori, and this is Raising Runners. We will be talking about running, mental health, youth sport burnout, specialization in sports, motivation, encouragement, coaching, parenting, sleep, nutrition, really anything that you can think of that we as parents or coaches or just runners can do to help our young athletes. In today's interview, I get to interview my lovely mother, Stephanie Williams, who is a registered dietitian. We talk about nutrition, fueling for young athletes. We talk about, you know, how to plan for busy, I mean, really just any busy families, but I was specifically asking for families when you're running around to different practices or on tournament weekends. We also talk about some warning signs for um, teens or young athletes who are showing potential to have disordered eating or other unhealthy things of that nature. We also, you're going to hear us trip over if it's an acrostic or an acronym when she is describing um, what simple is for eating. So um, I believe we came to the conclusion that it is an acrostic. I still feel like it could be an acronym, but Either way, you'll hear us be confused about that as well. So hopefully you find some super helpful tips on eating. Feel free. But um, if you want to start by talking about kind of your whole running journey. So, you know, when you started running, why, if there was a why you started running, if you're running now, um, coaches, parent involvement, like all that stuff, kind of go through the whole running through the years. Gotcha. Um, I would say officially I started running my first race when I was eight years old, but, um, the reason I was running was because I love to run and I love to run fast. Like my favorite games are always tag and run the bases. So, um, I don't even know how it happened, but when I was eight years old, I ran in a local, um, junior Olympics track meet. So 50 yard dash, you know, I don't, I don't even have that anymore. I had my first pair of like little white leather Puma um, spikes and uh, I was super excited and it was so much fun um, and it just kind of went off from there. So I ran all through elementary school and then um, when I went off to high school, um, I decided to run and I was fortunate enough or was interesting enough that the school that I went to was just starting a women's program in track. So we were all like the first year that they had a women's track program. So our coach was really good at just kind of assessing all these young people and saying, Hey, try this, try this, try this. So for me, um, I had speed and I had flexibility. So he asked me if I wanted to run the hurdles. I had no idea what they were, but I said, sure. So I tried that and I loved that. So I did the 100 meter hurdles for a couple of years. And then um, when I went off to college was the first time I ran in cross country. And at that school also they started, it was the first year they started a women's program when I was there. Um, I had known the coach through some summer camps that I went to. And he said, if you come to school here, I'll start a program. So he did. And I ran cross country and that was great fun. I think there were four of us, um, but, you know, we went out and we ran every day and that was fun. And for me as an athlete, that was really helpful because that was the, like the distance space that I never had before. And in college, I decided to run 400 meter hurdles because that was going to be a better race for me. Um, 
really tough race on the track, but again, super fun. Um, I just kind of loved it. So I only ran for probably two years in college and then, you know, moved off into other things more like studies and, and work and so on. And, you know, running kind of drifted away a bit from, from there. So now I walk my dog. So, so I, and I guess I may have known this, but I, well, first of all, everybody, this is my mom. So if you didn't know, I know, <laughs> I know a thing or two. Um, I, for some reason, assumed you ran all through college and then stopped running after school. Did you do any, I mean, I know that like fitness groups and, and working out in the gym was not like super popular then, but did you do any kind of like activities, like movement wise after college? Um, that was back in the eighties when aerobics were popular. So I did join a gym with my mother and we would go to aerobics together. Um, and you know, so we would do that multiple times a week and I liked that. Um, but then again, you know, work, um, children, and it just kind of moved on from there. So movement wise, you know, I would say, I would say most of my running was running after you and your sister and your brother. Um, and then we got into, you know, horseback riding for a while. So that was like, you know, a whole different kind of athleticism. Um, and then, you know, more just walking the dog, but in more recent years, um, I developed a love of yoga. So I do some form of yoga pretty much every day. Um, before COVID I had taken up with a gym and I'd gone there like two to three times a week doing like weight training and bar class. And I loved that. Um, and then I haven't ventured back into a gym. So I'm, I'm basically a dog walker who walks probably anywhere from three to five miles a day with the dog, um, walk with grandchildren when they're around and, um, you know, do yoga every day. And, um, that's like the movement. I think movement is really important. Um, but it's important to find one that fits your life and that you enjoy. It's gotta be, there's gotta be that fun part to it, you know? So oh, totally. Yeah. Um, I want to backtrack a little bit cause I realized I didn't actually ask this specifically, but so you talked about doing, um, aerobics with Mimi, but was she involved at all with, I mean, I'm guessing she's obviously the one who signed you up for track when you were eight, but like how involved with your track meets was she, you know, I don't know, like if you had to do practices outside of track practice or like, you know, how involved was she with that? And then also now I'm making it a two-part question. You'd mentioned there was a coach that said they would start a program if you went to the school. So can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, the kind of style, the coaches that you worked with had and like, you know, what you liked and didn't like? Yeah. Um, so let's see the Mimi question, which is my mother. Um, and you know, you personally know how involved she gets in things. Um, so yeah, signing me up for track, my mom, um, worked when I was little, but she always like found a way or made it an option for me to get to practices. So actually thinking about it now, when I was very young, like eight, nine years old, I was also doing dance classes. So she would, I would go to school. I would walk actually to track practice. Then she would leave work, pick me up make me a quick dinner and take me to dance class on certain nights. So there's always that, you know, heavy, heavy parental piece of, you know, carting your kids back and forth. Um, you know, thinking back in high school, I, 
I know she came probably more to like the weekend, like invitational meets where you're there all day. Um, I remember her and my dad coming. Um, not so much during college because you're traveling. Like we weren't, we didn't go far, I, like middle Atlantic conference kind of thing. But, you know, you were going off to like Lebanon and you were going off to, you know, Millersville and those kinds of things. So I don't think she traveled to too many of those. But um, but yeah, she made she made track happen. And like she was probably the one who signed me up for the camp that I went to during high school when I that's where I went to college too. And in the winter time off season, somehow she must have picked me up. I would someone would pick me up at high school and take me to the university to run with their men's team so I could get in shape for my season. So a lot of involvement and support that way, yeah, is huge. Um, and in terms of coaches, so I only think of really these three coaches. Um, and I think all of them, like one of the things that I think made them so special was they made you the runner feel special, you know, in like uh, finding what it is you like to do or how to do it or making sure you got that first pair of spikes because my coach took me the first time when I was eight you know, to this little track shoe store in media and, you know, talk them into how to get me the shoes and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, I think all three of those coaches had some things in common with that, you know, and, and celebrating the victories and then also talking you through the, you know, the not so good days when you trip over like hurdle number 10 and, you know, <laughs> the race goes on and you're still laying on the track because you, you fell. So, um, so yeah, they just, you know, they were really, I think, um, just really supportive people, but in helping you find the things that you're good at, you know? That theme has been coming up so much. Um, actually, one of the episodes that just came out was titled Showing You Care, I think, because we just, um, I was talking to Emily, who's an ultra marathoner, and we just kept talking about how the coaches that were so impactful to her and things that she does with the kids as a preschool teacher is like, you just have to show that you care and you, you want to support people. So that just keeps coming up so often is like, and also the motivation piece too, right? Like getting to know the kids and showing that you have an interest in them. So it's, it's nice to see that the themes are kind of spread throughout, um, you know, even in different disciplines, not just, you know, the long distance running and those things, but like even the short distance running and, you know, different kinds of things like that. So I appreciate that there's consistency. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you know, I like consistency. Um, okay, so you now shifting gears again, you mentioned you're a grandma, a yoga person, a dog walker, also dietitian, registered dietitian. Do you have other qualifications that I'm missing with that? And then do you want to just talk a little bit about how you got into that and then your philosophy on all of that? Sure. Um, I think you pretty much covered all of that. The other thing I can do is, um, teach mindfulness meditation. Um, so that is actually something that I do every day. And, um, I find that that's just, um, like amazingly helpful with, um, just staying grounded and, um, actually it just kind of, um, opens you up to, to, I think some of the subtleties in life that can kind of pass right by if you don't figure out how to slow down a little bit and catch your breath and take a breath and um, develop compassion. It's all like part of it. So that's the other thing that I, I can do. Um, but that's like a practice that I have for myself part of every day. 
So yeah. Um, and so the the uh, nutrition piece. So I went back to school when I was in my 40s to become a registered dietitian. Um, and um, I, I sometimes find it to be true when somebody says, if you love your job, it's never really work. And um, I love my job. So um, sometimes it's intense and it's heavy, but it's something that I, I really like to do. And I think it pulls in so many of the things that we talk about. It's, um, you know, maybe thinking about those coaches, but figuring out what motivates somebody to want to maybe learn about their nutrition or work on their nutrition or, or make some changes, um, finding out what motivates somebody, what's important to them and how that fits in with those messages. Um, and I also talk about yoga and joyful movement and um, mindfulness to the extent that someone is comfortable with that and how to bring all of that to the table, so to speak. So, um, so I kind of, yeah, it's interesting to look back and think of how all those things fit together. Um, my nutritional philosophy, you know, so I always say dietitians, we all have our own flavor. Um, my flavor is to say like how to make nutrition simple. So I take the word simple and I break that down and I'll say like, you know, the essence simple is for supportive. How do we learn to make choices that are supportive to our individual needs? Because I think in the world we live in today, there's so much talk about nutrition and what's, I'm using air quotes here, healthy. Um, but it really is more individual than we are, you know, than we would think. So it's, it's what's supportive for you as a person with some basic, you know, background premises, right? So supportive nutrition for me is, you know, three meals a day, depending on your activity level and your other needs, two to three snacks a day make perfect sense. So for, you know, a supportive meal, like breakfast, lunch, dinner, I look for some carbs, some protein and some fats. Um, because that's what sustains us. That's what makes it all work together. You know, carbohydrates fuel our brain as well as our muscles. So we need those starchy, grainy carbs for that protein rebuilds muscle. It does repair work. It helps us build hormones and make enzymes. It also helps the carbohydrates that we're ingesting sustain us for longer. You know, we, we get more mileage out of a carbohydrate that we're eating when we combine it with a protein. And then when we throw some fat in there, um, it's essential for, it provides essential fatty acids, which we can't make in our body, but we need, um, it's a storage, you know, form of energy. So it lasts a really long time. Um, our brains are 60% fat. So we need to do that. It makes everything work really well. And then it also makes food taste really good. It that kind of wakes up our taste buds and an important part of enjoying a meal is, does it taste good? You know, so simple. Um, and supportive, right? The I in simple is for intuitive. It's kind of knowing what we like, what kind of a texture do we like? Um, crunchy? Do we want smooth? Do we want hot? Do we want cool? Do we want, um, you know, something liquid like a smoothie or something more solid like a protein bar? So intuitive and being able to like put those things together, um, is actually really important so that like the meal or the snack that we eat kind of ticks all our boxes and that feels good. Um, I like to see a little bit of mindfulness to it. Like, Hey, sit down when you can, you know, sit down and actually we're not really great at multitasking. So when we sit down or at least pause when we're eating a meal or a snack, even if it's on the go, 
when we do that pause, we allow our brain to actually absorb the fact that we are feeding ourselves. And it's really important to know that we're taking care of ourselves. So put a little mindfulness in that. Um, pleasurable. So, you know, um, a lot of people are familiar maybe with the, um, the quote that says, let food be your medicine. And I always say, but it doesn't have to taste like it. So, you know, they, they've done some, some interesting studies back in like the 1970s where they, um, they took a look at the enjoyment of food. And when we enjoy the food, we actually absorb the nutrients better. So like make it taste good, enjoy your food. Um, then liberating. So that's, you know, with the exception of food allergies and some intolerances, it's, you know, we don't have to follow a lot of rules and structures, rigid rules that we tend to think of today or following the latest diet trend or, you know, um, saying this is a good food or a bad food. Um, those things in many of us can cause, you know, like a lot of confusion and, and actually interfere with our ability to enjoy food. And then in some cases, you know, it, it becomes like um, too restrictive. So make it liberating. And then E is everything else, all foods fit, you know, do your starchy grainy carbs, whole grain them when you can eat fish. If you like it, um, eat chicken, if you prefer, you know, throw some fruits and veggies in there. Um, and then those fun foods too, you know, they, they all get to have their place and that just kind of helps with our variety and our enjoyment of food and actually taking care of ourselves. So my philosophy is to keep it simple. I like that. And I like how, what are those called again? Is it yeah. Acronyms? I, uh, no. what am I using the wrong word? You know what I'm talking about. Though. I know it. And you know what? I was going to look that up before I came on today because it's <laughs> like, uh, what are those things? Cause I somehow knew you were going to ask me. Um, and I want to say acrostic, but that's what you, right. Do. That's what I was thinking of. That's a poem, right? That's when you do a poem, right? So yeah. whatever that is, whatever that thing is, you can look that up and bring it yeah. up. Here. But, um, <laughs> but yes, that is, that's my, that's my jam as you would say, but yeah, it's like making nutrition simple is the tagline for my business and simple is what it is. And you take each one of those layers, those letters, and it brings in all of the layers of the things that I like to bring to my practice and eventually share with, you know, my clients at the right time. Yeah, no, and that's awesome. And I feel like in all the things we've talked about, just from knowing what you do, like it all totally fits into, into those five letters. So that, that was perfect. Um, can kind of going with like your whole simple thing. So people who, I mean, usually it's like school-aged kids and sports are so, so busy, but also like high schoolers and, and moving on from there are so busy too, but trying to feed these young athletes in this crazy busy schedule. So like a weekday schedule, you know, you have to make sure they have breakfast and lunch for school and then probably snack or even dinner on the way to practice or on the way home. Like that can be a little chaotic. And then a lot of sports teams have their tournaments on weekends where they're, you know, out for 10 hours or whatever it is. Do you have some tips for kind of like parents fueling their kids in kind of those two scenarios? Yeah. So um, it's another thing that I talk to my clients actually a lot about. Um, it's a term I borrowed from my first mentor, I think, but it's called structured flexibility. So let's think, think about that for a second. So have a basic structure of like those meals, like breakfast, lunch, dinner, like you mentioned, and snacks. And without getting you know, setting alarms on your watch to tell you this is the moment that we have to eat the snack or else, right? But having some structure there actually for school-age children and high schoolers, and even us as adults, that structure 
um, allows us to kind of rest and be assured that food is coming, like that it's coming and we don't have to um, worry about it if, you know, if, if that's our privilege, right? So having a structure where those things happen and then the flexibility comes in where it's, okay, I'm going to pick up my child after school and then we have to go right to practice. Um, it might be the snack that you bring in the car, you know, and you do have that. And so, you know, every meal doesn't have to be sit down with, you know, a napkin and music playing and get really mindful. You know, sometimes it, it is just kind of catch it as you're, you know, on the fly kind of thing. But, um, but for the most part, you know, we're more often try to bring in some mindfulness to that. And then circling back to kids on the go and families on the go. Yeah. If you have to eat in the car, I always say it's better to eat than to not eat. Right. So make sure that happens. And then um, providing the, the fuel that, that those growing bodies need, because kids are growing all the way through their early twenties, like adolescence really doesn't end until your very early twenties. So whether we're actually growing taller or stronger, or just more dense, those bodies are always growing. So they need fuel. Things to think about is, you know, I'm going to go back to the S in simple supportive, right? What are your needs for that meal or that snack? If it's, I need something to kind of hold myself or this child through for till dinner, three hours from now, I'm going to hopefully combine a carbohydrate with a protein and or a fat. So like apple and peanut butter, um, grapes and cheese, whole grain crackers and, um, you know, cheese or peanut butter, if you like that, or almond butter is fine or a trail mix, because that's got both of those elements in there. That'll make that snack last for a longer period of time. Um, and then, you know, say I have a, a hungry youngster that's one hour until dinner and they're saying that they're hungry and they, they want a snack. Um, you know, just a piece of fruit might be enough to kind of satisfy that immediate hunger and then, you know, not, crush the appetite and they can still eat dinner. So it, it kind of, that's where the flexibility comes in. Um, for tournament weekends where it's, you know, regardless of the sport, if there's gonna be multiple events in one day, it's making sure you have a good cooler bag and you pack a variety of different things in there. Some of those snacks like I already mentioned, um, maybe a granola bar um, that might have like maybe a little bit more than one or two grams of protein in it. Um, Maybe there's, you know, some fig bars, some fruit, um, and then, uh, you know, more sustaining things like maybe a peanut butter sandwich, because that's going to carry us for a little bit longer so that you have options. And then it's going to be knowing how your young athlete responds, like how much time do they need between meal and then activity? Because some kids can eat right after a sandwich and some kids need a little more time. Um, some kids get really nervous. So for those nervous athletes, I always say like, let's look at really simple carbohydrates digesting like um, white bread or plain white bagel. Cause those are going to digest more quickly and easily because, you know, if your kid's going to go off to run, they might not want to run on a full stomach. That's the time to go on those really simple dissolving or metabolizing carbohydrates. Um, one of the things I often share with say like wrestling parents where it's, you know, a, a burst of you know activity and then there's a short rest and then another burst of activity again things like gatorade fit really well because that absorbs in quickly and i think all your runners might actually you know um appreciate that because like on the runs when they're handing out those cups it's usually got some kind of like a gatorade powerade kind of thing 
or um, the fruit gels, but all those gels, they're, they're simple, quick dissolving carbohydrates to refill those muscles that are getting used up. So for those really busy week, excuse me, weekends, it's having that, that cooler that you can put many different forms of options in there to fit the situation throughout the day. But it's, you know, still trying to keep some of those basic structures in there. I think that's, those are some great tips with that. And I feel like you may have answered it in some of your other, um, the things we kind of talked about with like, you know, not labeling foods as good and bad and helping establish a routine for food. But are there some like do's and don'ts to help kids have a healthy relationship with food, especially because unfortunately, you know, in the media or from coaches or from anybody, you know, some sports are telling us we need to have smaller bodies to be more successful. And some sports are telling us we need to have bigger bodies to be more successful. So what are some things as parents, you know, who are usually the ones preparing food that we can help kind of counterbalance those messages and also help like the kids understand, like, I'm trying to fuel you so you can be a healthier person or a better athlete. Wow. And that, that's such, um, such a complicated question. I, I don't want to overuse the word simple, but I'm going to say like, let's really go back to simple. Um, especially when we're talking for the most part, right. Our athletes that we're all concerned with or, or supporting, um, we're not, you know, potentially on an Olympic track, right. So kids need fuel to be able to do that and properly fueled bodies, not good or bad or healthy or unhealthy, but bodies with fuel in them perform better. Um, in terms of, you know, the body size, bigger, smaller, um, there's a, um, I don't know if I can share this, um, but there's, there's a really great YouTube video, um, called poodle science. And, um, it's, it's actually great fun and everybody could maybe, you know, Google search that one and watch it, but it actually talks about difference in body sizes. Um, and we, believe it or not, have less control over the size of our bodies than we are generally led to believe um, in just the media at large today. So it's more determined on, you know, our genetics. And I were born with, I'll call it when I talk to my clients, GPS to more or less land at a certain place where our bodies are going to thrive and where each body thrives is going to be unique to that individual. It's not going to be necessarily the same as your sister or your brother, even though you do share genetics. Um, but there is a place where your body thrives. When we try to manipulate it too much, either upwards or downwards, um, we're kind of messing with the program and we're, we're likely to miss that place where we, where we thrive. So I think when they, when someone really looks at the research, the, the athletes that do well are the ones that um, are finding that it's not a sweet spot. It's just the spot where their bodies are thriving, where they're fueled um, and, and they're going to perform at their best. What they find is that, you know, if we focus on the smallness factor, right, it takes a small body to do whatever this particular sport is, or those people do best. They're going to find that that's not necessarily true. You know, it doesn't have to do with the body size. It's the strength and the preparation and the fuel that allows a body to perform. And, you know, sometimes what gets missed too is the impact that adequate fuel has on our brain, our brain development, um, and then also our mood. So when we're doing that balancing that I talked about before with carbs and proteins, and we're balancing our nutrition, we're actually balancing our mood 
we're balancing metabolism. There's so many different layers going on on the inside. Um, so yeah, I'd be really um, cautious with messaging from coaches that I think have the best interest at heart for our athletes, but something that would prescribe a restrictive diet. Um, and I hear these stories all the time, you know, um, let's do a no sugar challenge or let's, you know, whatever the latest kind of sports trend is. But, you know, I always say good nutrition's not that trendy. It's pretty basic. You know, metabolism is, is what it is. It's a scientific process that's working inside our bodies. Um, and, you know, trying to manipulate that, um, it's not really our best option. Yeah. And I can link, oh, I'll have to find that YouTube video, but I can put a link in there. So if people want to find that, um, it's easy to find yeah. with kind of what you were saying, especially with like, you know, the new trendy things or coaches with the best intentions and, you know, just unfortunately sending the wrong messages for parents or coaches. I'm imagining it's probably very similar, but you, I know you work with kids who are struggling with eating disorders of various kinds. And I know sometimes that also can um, bring in some like over-exercising factors as well. But what are some of the warning signs that us as parents or coaches or both, or someone who just works around kids should be looking at for these kids that are going to either are already struggling or, you know, they could be going down a path to start, you know, really struggling with some kind of eating disorder or disordered eating. Right. So, um, the first one is that any, any adolescent of any size body that is losing weight or having a sudden increase in weight, rapid weight gain. I always think that that's, um, an opportunity to go check in with the pediatrician because there could be some metabolic process going on that that's off, or that can be at least explained. Um, or it could be someone that might be dabbling in the, the pathway of dysfunctional eating, for whatever, whatever the possible reason are, you know, what we know about eating disorders is, is they're not a choice. Someone doesn't wake up and say today, I'm going to have an eating disorder. It's usually someone's best effort to, to soothe or calm themselves or to meet some ideal that they imagine they need to do. Um, or there's something else, um, you know, emotionally they're trying to, to solve in that way. So it's worth a visit to the um, pediatrician to see what, th where things are, you know, growth charts are, are um, great guides to see where that, you know, natural GPS, where that body thrives is going. And um, at any size, right. Dysfunctional eating affects bodies of all sizes. So it doesn't just look a stereotypical way. Um, we need to, to be aware. So that's one flag. Um, Another flag might be, um, you know, a, a drastic change in mood where, you know, suddenly you feel like we're arguing about everything at home and, um, and nobody knows why, but, you know, not having enough nutrition definitely affects our mood. So we might see more volatile moods that seem sudden. Um, changing in clothing, you know, sometimes it's, it's hiding our bodies in baggy clothing. Um, and so that we can't really tell actually what's happening. Um, it might be an over-focus on, uh, weight, um, weighing themselves on a scale. If there are scales at home, you know, I, I generally don't recommend having scales at home, but, um, you know, those kinds of things or an over-focus on, um, fitness and performance, 
because um, in our culture, you know, an overfocus on eating healthy or an overfocus on um, achievement and performance in sport or in school are often celebrated and commented on. There is a place where that can turn, and then you know it becomes more of a weapon than a, a supportive thing. So you know where anytime food or activity, excuse me, food or a level of activity starts to impact someone's um, mood to a great extent, their ability to perform in school. Um, socially where they start maybe avoiding friends or social situations and start to isolate more those are all things to maybe um, drop in and and get it checked out with the pediatrician and then you know hopefully the pediatrician will ask a couple questions not just you know um, are you eating but like what are you eating and how are you approaching that and then maybe refer you to you know a dietitian as well but um but yeah those are like some of the the big red flags i think so you mentioned the pediatrician a couple of times. So is that typically what a first step, if you assume your child, it's obviously if it's your child, not someone else's, um, you're assuming your child is having some kind of issue. Is that the first step? And do you, is there other people you should be reaching out to, you know, like a dietitian first, like, Hey, I think my child is struggling or is usually that the best route to go and then kind of mention it obviously to the pedi pediatrician, or do you think they're going to kind of find it on their own, I guess. Yeah. So um, I can say in my personal experience, I've had it happen both ways where I've had parents just concerned about um, just a child's nutritional status, feeling that they're not eating well or eating healthy, or, um, you know, sometimes it's, you know, whatever their concern is that there's just not enough nutrition, whether they think they're, you know, maybe losing weight or, or just not eating well, and they'll, they'll see a dietitian first. Um, I have some screening questions that I, that I ask that I go through. And, and a lot of times it's, you know, what is food like for you? And we, we step through all those things. And, and if, you know, some flags come up, um, we'll start addressing them. And then I always refer that person to, Hey, it's time to go see the pediatrician. Let's see where, where things are. And they'll, you know, they'll look at their weight, but it's actually so much more than the weight there's, you know, heart rate, blood pressure, you know, a lot of other things that the pediatrician is going to be looking for running labs, those kinds of things. So I've done it that way. Um, and then I've had other kids get referred to me from their pediatrician because the pediatrician knows, like notices a, a blip, like something is different. Um, really anytime an adolescent is losing weight, it's something to, to go to the pediatrician and get that investigated, run some labs and see what's happening regardless of body size, because Sometimes, you know, it's, it's, um, uh, if a child is on medication, it could be a medication that's causing that situation, or it could be, you know, just the beginnings of an eating disorder, or perhaps some other diagnosis where, you know, the child feels uncomfortable when they're eating, therefore they're just not eating as much because they're not, they're trying to feel better. So like, let's get to the root of that. And then that's often usually a recommendation to a dietitian as well. So, um, so I've seen it go both ways, but the pediatrician always gets involved. The other piece sometimes is um, some children may already be working with a therapist uh, for some other, you know, diagnosis, ADHD or anxiety or depression. And um, that professional might notice something's come up in their conversations about food or body perception, and they may recommend a dietitian. 
Um, and if it's a dysfunctional eating situation, like the team is usually the primary or the pediatrician, the therapist, and the dietitian, all kind of working in concert with one another to try to support this child and the family to, you know, move on and then develop healthier skills kind of thing. Awesome. I mean, not awesome, but super helpful information. Um, that's really all I have for you. Plus, you know, it's starting to get late and I don't want to keep you too, too, too long. Do you have any last things? Maybe I forgot to ask you something or anything else before I let um, you go. No, I, um, I hope people find that helpful. And I think, I mean, I work with families often, so you know, the last thing I think I'd say is, um, you know, parents generally know their children best. So like, trust your gut because there is a connection between your gut and your brain. Like they talk all the time. So if something seems off somewhere that you're worried about your kid and you're not sure, you know, trust your instincts and, and go get it checked out. And, you know, also talk to your child and see, you know, what they might have to, to say or what they have questions about or what's going on in the background um, because, you know, food is important. Um, it fuels the brain, it fuels the muscles. Um, and, and it really can be a simple, simple thing. And then, you know, um, sharing it with family and friends is, is the great experience of it. So, you know, um, like enjoy it. Yeah, well, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate all the time you took, but also appreciate all the tips you had for us. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you again so, so much to my mom for doing this interview. It was nice to hear the story of how she started running and kind of all through her running and fitness journey into where she is now. It was also really helpful to hear all of the food and fueling tips she had because really I think all of us just want it to be simple and there are so many things that are not anymore in the world. So um, anything that can stay pretty easy is great. And also, um, you know, for us as coaches or parents, things to look out for if we see an individual who may be struggling with food, because I think that's all too common as well. I will have her website linked in the show notes for anyone who has questions um, or anything they want to be able to connect with her. And I also will have the poodle science episode that she referred to also linked in there for anyone who wants to check that out also. Thank you for tuning into Raising Runners, new episodes every Tuesday. And we are always looking to talk to people about running, mental health, or anything along the spectrum that can help our young athletes or just talking to runners or parents and coaches of our young runners as well. Hopefully you find our resources helpful. If you have questions, comments, or anything else, feel free to email me at marikeerunclub at gmail.com. <laughs>